definitely takes what it takes. And, and even as a coach to continue to get better and, and make changes to my program and, and move us forward on the national ranking and all that, uh, it, it takes what it takes. And, and I need to do my job every day to get a little bit better too. You're listening to the Tap into College Golf podcast, where we provide an inside look at the world of college golf. College recruiting consultant Brandy Jackson shares her knowledge of college recruiting, plus interviews with some of the most accomplished coaches and players in college golf. If you are ready to tap into the best tips, stories, and insight, then you've come to the right place. Here's your host, Brandy Jackson. Welcome to this episode of Tap Into College Golf. We are kicking this, um, I'd say kicking the series off because it is a new series, but yet it's taken the name of another series. And because it's my podcast, I guess I can do that. Um, but this is going to be called the Quick Nine series, and it truly is going to be um, a Quick Nine. Um, I know we've been doing these drills that have kind of been under that, but um, those episodes are going to continue. Just decided to give them a more appropriate name, and this just fit perfect. Um, and got a great guest today to be able to do this with me. Um, and excited to have Coach Alexis Bennett. Um, of High Point University here joining me. Um, just uh, gotten to know Coach Bennett over the last few years, especially um, her being here in the Carolinas and, and both of her coaching positions. She's been there and excited to have her on. And we're going to um, kind of cover just a little bit of kind of a warm up to let her talk a little bit about her you know, getting into coaching. She played college golf, um, was the coach at a NAIA program down on the coast of South Carolina called USC. USC Beaufort um, had some great success there and is in her fourth year at High Point University. Um, so welcome to the, the podcast, Alexis, and excited to have you on here and, and talk a little bit about uh, your coaching background, and then we're going to knock out these quick nine holes. Well, thanks for having me, Brandy. First of all, I just want to thank you for having me. Obviously, I have a huge amount of uh, just respect and uh, mostly from afar uh, respect some of the coaches that you've had on the podcast so far and just excited to even be able to to sort of pull up the seat to that table. So uh, thanks for all you do for junior golf. Obviously, uh, our relationship has grown over the last couple of years, just uh, recruiting some of your girls and things like that. But uh, excited to be here. Yeah, well, excited to have you on. And I know we talk a good bit and chat and, and kind of goof off a little bit through messages and, and have some fun with some things, but excited to have you on and glad to hear that you've been listening to the other episodes. I, I've really enjoyed hearing that feedback from the coaches who have learned things from the other episodes and, and the other coaches, which I said, I think I say this almost episodes. That was not what I thought about when I started this, but it has been a little bit of a kind of blessing in disguise, I guess, of being able to create a little bit of that, that education that has been really cool to hear that feedback. Um, so now it's your turn to, to shed some light on things. And I'm sure some other coaches out there are going to enjoy listening. And, and I know you're a little bit maybe kind of younger into the game in the sense of some who've been doing this for 30, 40 years. Um, but I think that brings a little different perspective and, um, we had Coach Brennan on here who's um, you know, down at USF and kind of same thing, just that energy and excitement as a young coach who's um, you know, just really kind of figuring things out and, and pave, you know, paving your way for things. So a couple of things first. Like I said, anytime you're going to go out and play nine holes, even if it's a quick nine, you probably still want to get in a little bit of a warm-up. So we're going to warm up a little bit with – tell us a little bit just about what did get you into coaching, what led you wanting to coach, and then we're going to talk just a little bit about – um, you know, your years there already at High Point and what you've been able to do there. And then we're going to knock out these, uh, these rapid fire nine, nine questions here. 
Sure. So I did not grow up wanting to get into coaching. It was not in my family. Uh, even just some of you know the master's programs or even now in, at the undergraduate level, coaching was not something that I could major in. I know I wasn't in college that long ago, but it was not, not really on the radar of, of any, any one of my peers, uh, to be honest with you, but um, played golf at every level, essentially. Um, I grew up in Illinois, in the Midwest, but uh, they actually had a really great junior program, grew up in a city that had uh, five public courses and three country clubs, one of which I was fortunate to be a member at with my family. So I was de definitely started as most do, as, as a lot of the girls that you and I go back and forth about start uh, with, with their parents and it's a family gig, um, went to a school for the academics. I walked on uh, to my college program at the Division One level. Um, I've, and I, I don't know, this might be backtracking a little bit, but I've, I've overcome a lot of adversity. I had a, a great childhood, but um, my last year of high school, I actually missed the entire season for nine months of, of mono. Um, got oh, a pretty goodness. serious case there, so fell off of the radar of a lot of the programs that had been recruiting me my junior year um, and decided to choose uh, a school for the academic reputation, and if the golf worked out, it worked out. Um, gotcha. Walked on for a couple of years and actually ended up walking off, just didn't have a, a great experience really in any aspect of it, and um, my college golf experience for me as an individual made me love the game less, and I, I knew that wasn't what was within me I knew that I still loved the game and so um had a, had a good chat with my parents uh, in my junior year and and they said you know if the team thing is is not you know for, and it, it wasn't that the team thing wasn't obviously I'm a, I'm a coach now I love the team environment but if this is not the right fit for you um you know maybe you still have have an opportunity to play afterwards so um okay. I, I walked off the team before my senior year um unexpectedly lost my mom in the middle of my senior year in college, um, which was just another major hurdle. So it was like I kept getting a little bit better at the game and something seemed to set me back. Um, but I still had a had another great chat with my dad and, and he was like, that was the plan after graduation to, to give it a run to try and get your love for the game back and um, to, to go out on the mini tours and you know, did did my fair share of grinding out there. It was only a three year stint, but uh, nothing it feels like, like 10 years you've had on the LPGA. Yeah. Um, but Along the way, just had um, got to give a, a big shout out to Lance Patterson at, at Dallas Athletic Club. He not only gave me uh, an opportunity to, to have sort of an honorary membership there and be able to stay in Dallas where I'd made some friends in college outside of the golf world, but um, he just really saw something in me and had seen me struggle through that college process and was like, no, you, you've got more in you than, than what you've shown so far. So um, he got me to be the best player that I could be um, in that two years. You know, I've another sort of point of adversity that, that my girls and I talk about all the time, especially the ones that want to go on to play. Uh, they know that I've missed the next stage of Q school at that point. It was, it was set up quite a bit differently than the Q series today and, and so forth. But uh, they've, they've heard my stories, my horror stories of doubling the last two holes to miss by two strokes the next, next stage. So I, th I think there's a relatability factor, especially like you said, at a, a younger age as a coach, um, there's a relatability there that, that has made me successful, I think, but um, kind of was playing the best golf of my life and it still wasn't good enough, to be honest with you. So um, I had had one year of, of high school coaching. I went back to my alma mater and, and coached alongside my high school coach and had the most fun that I'd ever had. And, uh, you know, after one of those tournaments where I played really well and, and still only finished in 10th place, it was like, okay, maybe I should pull that that undergraduate degree out of my back pocket and, and I've got a good head on my shoulders 
Um, I'd studied marketing and advertising. So I think that's probably, you know, we might talk about that a little later. That might be the path I'd be on if I weren't coaching, but um, was, was fortunate enough to have Quinn Monahan at, at USDB see that all of that adversity that I'd overcome as sort of life experience. And then obviously the, the few years on the mini tours, he saw that playing experience as equivalent to, um, you know, years of coaching. So, um, you know, whether that was the right decision on his part or not, I don't know. I, I obviously sat in that office the first day with a pile of papers and, and really no idea what to do that, you know, what, what was the first step uh, in, in my first position, having never been an assistant coach. But uh, yeah, we, we had some success there. They were a good program when I came in, but we, we got them ranked inside the top five uh, for several ranking straights and dropped the, the scoring average about 15 shots and started to get some you know, get my feet wet in the international recruiting scene just with, with kids that don't necessarily have that blue dot syndrome that a lot of coaches yeah. talk about, just um, fighting that NAI versus NCAA battle. That's, yeah, and so you were there three years, right? Yeah, yeah, that okay. was awesome. Obviously, missed the, missed the beach, missed being able to, to yes. go have lunch on the beach <laughs> and go back to campus, but uh, – um, there's a lot to be said for, for working at those smaller programs. I think, you know, you see a lot of the the hirings that, that go on at the Power 5 level and a lot of assistants who are deserving get opportunities. But I think there's also some coaches at the lower levels that have done a lot with, with very little that, that deserve maybe a, a better look that I was obviously fortunate enough to, to get that look at High Point. Yeah, I agree. I actually just recommended USC Buford to um to somebody just talking about, you know, hey, you're down on the coast of South Carolina. I know it, you know, some people it doesn't doesn't sound like much because it is that NAIA, you know, and then gets that kind of stereotype a little bit, but had just recommended it and you know, not a bad place to go spend four years or, or um, you know, even if you go and, and you don't like it, you're still in a pretty nice place of the country. So not a bad place to have to be. Absolutely. So no, leading into that, let's oh, oh go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to talk about kind of my love for the Carolinas, obviously having grown up in the, the Midwest and gone to college yeah. in Texas, the, the Carolinas were always sort of this mysterious place. And now that I'm here, I'm, I'm obsessed. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a good place. Been here my whole life and um, got to see all the other places, but it's um, something about here that, that kind of encompasses the mountains, the beach, you get a little of everything, some big cities, you get, you get a little bit of it all. So it's kind of um, not a bad place to be. So we're glad to have you here in the Carolinas. Sure. Um, all right. So let's, um, you know, kind of second half of this before we really like said we kick off this, um, this quick non series is I said you have been there at High Point starting your fourth year. Um, so obviously you came in, you know, there was uh, a coach, you know, that was there before that had created culture and, and had her own philosophy and, and those kinds of things. Um, as with any program and then you know anytime a new coach comes in there's there's different expectations there's different philosophy um, you're working with some players who had been there previously you're recruiting new players um, in some cases they talk about there's just like seven year stint for it to take to really kind of make it your program in a way and so you're four years into it share a little bit just about you know that that transition and that process of re rebuilding a program and, and creating a new culture and what that's been like, what, what are some of the challenges, challenges with that? Um, you know, now that you're, you're four years into it, um, you know, just talk a little bit about that. And then we'll, um, I said, we'll kick off these quick nine questions um, and do some rapid fire sure. answers on that, but give me a little bit more time just to kind of share a little bit about that. Yeah. So on the, on the high point university side of things, 
Um, sure. So that was my second inheritance. Obviously, anytime you come into a new program, whether they've been really successful or have been struggling uh, mightily, you, you're going to inherit something. You're going to inherit a, a group of individuals with existing attitudes, existing golf games, existing, you know, pre-existing notions of what they want to be similar and differently. And um, the, the high point, transi the transition into high point and the inheritance there was a hundred times easier than actually my inheritance at USCB and obviously half of that I think was just having the experience and getting into the the office the first day and not just staring at the the stack of papers but being able to organize them all individually and say here are my priorities here's exactly who I need to talk to what I need to do um, so you know maybe half of it is is coming in with a hundred things that I knew I needed to do rather than a hundred yeah. things you know I didn't know what I didn't know, didn't know what to do yeah but, um a lot of credit to, I have kind of a, what I, I call in the back of my mind, the core four. Um, I inherited two freshmen that are now seniors. So they've been, you know, they've only had me as a coach, but they were not recruited by me. Um, but they were totally bought into the process. Um, one of them is an international player who was spending the summer here. Um, and she was the first person that I met and was just so thankful to have a coach in place. Obviously there's a, <laughs> a big period of, of uncertainty on the side of the players when they're just not sure who they're going to get in or, or what's going to happen yeah. with the whole process. But, um, and then another, a, a local Carolina player who's just extremely talented. They're both really talented, but um, just, you know, there's a little bit of luck that goes into it. I, I, I wouldn't want to take credit for, you know, flipping the tables on the culture and all the things that we have done, but um there were those two freshmen and then a senior and a junior um, that were just craving change, uh, which was not the case at USCB. They were very resistant to it and um, they were missing the coach that was outgoing. Whereas this one was, you know, she's young, we've got fresh ideas, you know, um, and, and really they've been struggling in, in every area. So that's one of the best jobs to take in the country. Uh, in my opinion, I, I think, you know, I've only really built or rebuilt programs in those, those two stops, but um, from the outside looking in, I, I think building is more fun. I think it's more rewarding and it's, you know, more internally satisfying because you get to see the, the fruits of your labor. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to those, those four just being the, the, cornerstones of the different changes that I made and a lot of it was was just adding structure they, they didn't have a lot of structure before I got here and I, I don't know anything different from structure I, I give out calendars for the whole semester so that they are able to plan all of their uh, class you know requirements and and obligations outside of golf around what I'm expecting of them um, yeah. I don't think they'd had someone really pour into them on the relationship side of things in a while um, and then on the golf side, I think there was a little bit too much of trying to fit square pegs in a round hole. Um, I came in and, and a little, you know, basically just had some conversations with, with the players that had been here and said, you know, what does your game look like? And, and things like, you know, our strategy on par five completely changed from never going for it when I had a player that averaged 280 off the tee to always going for it unless there is some significant obstacle in your way that's that's begging for a layup we're going to go for it and, and we dropped our par five scoring immediately um so yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of things that go into it but i give a lot of credit to to sort of the players that were here that were thirsty for change i got you yeah i know that's got to be hard to you know when they're not 
you know, they're more resistant to it. Um, yeah, like you said, maybe a little bit of luck to it, but at the same time, you know, just, just to be able to come in and like you said, have ones who are, are ready for that change and looking for that change and everything I'm sure makes that process a little bit easier. And then you're able to kind of build it from there instead of having to spend so much time trying to, trying to, you know, rebuild them and change them and get them on board on top of bringing in new players. It, um, I'm sure that helps make that, you know, still not easy by any means, but at least help it uh, make that transition, that rebuilding process a little bit easier and, and lets you get your philosophy, you know, input in there a little bit sooner instead of having to conform so much to, to who's already, you know, to the, the previous coach and, and what they had done and everything. I'm sure that makes it a little bit easier when that's the case, but unfortunately it's not always the case. And, and I know some coaches struggle with that sometimes, and it does take a lot more time to rebuild and to, you know, to kind of clean house in a way. And, and, you know, it's just players, even though players are great kids or great, you know, are really good on the golf course, it does not mean they're good fits for a particular coaching philosophy, you know, no matter how much you want to, you know, put two and two together, sometimes it just doesn't work. And when you've got multiples of those on a team that you're coming into, um, you know, again, it's not that they're anything against the kid in some cases or against, you know, their golf games. It's just not going to ever see eye to eye on what, you know, what each of you wants and, and wants out of the other person. No, for for sure. And that was kind of where I got lucky, just that they, it's, it sort of seemed like mediocrity was okay. And, and the kids themselves were recognizing that, that there's more we can do here, especially with the, this incoming class. There's a lot of talent here if we just have some even direction and and looking back on it I think what I just I really infused from the get-go was sort of the duality of love and high expectations you obviously can't achieve you know or achieve at your highest level or reach your fullest potential without those high expectations but you're obviously also not going to get a group of people to buy into those expectations if there's not this love and care for them um, behind the scenes as well so I, I think if I had to boil it down to two things, I, I came in with a lot of energy. I was really excited for the opportunity and, um, you know, knew no matter what I was faced with, it was going to be easier than uh, what I inherited at my last stop just because of my experience. Um, you know, so I, I think it boils down to love and, and high expectations. Awesome. I love it. Love it. All right. You ready for your quick nine? I hope so. Okay, perfect. All right, let's, um, so like I said, a little bit of a new series here, kind of mixing it up. Um, you know, I, I love to give the chances, you know, give the coaches a chance to talk and, and, and share everything, but I'm going to put you on a little bit of a clock this time, make you have to think a little bit, even though I did maybe give you a little advantage and, and give you the, the questions ahead of time. So you've had a little bit of time to think about them. Um, but the goal here is just to kind of give, you know, a little bit quicker answers, just a little bit more straight to the point. Um, I know you're probably like me. I could sit here and give details and elaborate all day long. Um, and, you know, sometimes as I start talking, I realize I need to sidetrack into something else. Um, but the goal with this is just really kind of hit home on a few things. Um, again, both a little bit about your coaching experience and then also – you know, that advice out there for the players and parents who are going through the process or getting close to, um, to being in college, uh, a little bit of advice, kind of mixing that up with a little bit of both. Um, so like I said, not going to put you on an actual clock, but I might have my phone sitting here beside me with a, um, you know, with a, with a timer going. Um, uh, but like I said, goal here is just trying to keep them, um, you know, trying to keep those answers under about 60 seconds or so, and then just get a couple quick points in. Um, so we're gonna go through nine questions and then we're going to wrap this up and, um, and then go on to, you know, to enjoy the beverage or something, I guess, after our quick nine in the clubhouse after this. So 
All right. That's so very first one. All right. Let's do it. All right. Very first one. First hole is what is the best thing about being a college coach? Um, unfortunately, this is the hardest answer you started with, but I actually love almost everything. There are, you know, difficult conversations. There's, there's confrontation along the way. There's, there's overcoming adversity, but I think I'm one of the maybe few coaches, maybe there's some other kind of geek nerds out there, but, um, I even love the administrative side of things. Obviously there are the easy answers of winning championships and just how that feels being surrounded by a team that's worked together and, and worked hard. And there's the aha moments in practice, whether it's making a swing adjustment or learning something strategically, there's the, the funny moments that happen. If you follow me on Instagram, you know, that my team has, uh, just about the most fun I think of any team out there. But um, I even like the the nitty gritty stuff of sorting the uniforms and picking out the equipment. And um, there's just not a lot that I don't love about this besides the the really tough stuff which we all face. But um, yeah, even I, I'm a marketing person. I I treat my team as as a brand. Um, and so even down to the way that the graphics look and how the articles are, are written. I sort of like to have my hands in all those pots. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. We're going to give you a, a par on that first hole for keeping it right at about. Oh, I didn't know we seconds. were keeping so. score. Now, now it's game on. <laughs> it is. Yeah, game see? on. Yep. That's right. But because I'm going to put you on a clock, I'm not allowed to comment either. So we're right to the next hole and we're going to uh, talk about what is the biggest red flag that you see in the college recruiting process. Um, I think some of the, there's a couple of, you know, there's a, I've told you this before. There's a, a lot of things that will take you off my radar. There's only a very few that will make you stand out. There's a, a lot that can keep you in that middle ground, but um, red flags that I am most likely to pay attention to are uh, treatment of other players and parents. Um, it's very easy to pick up on subtle cues, even where they're trying to have good body language but there's this underlying frustration or some other negative emotion it's pretty easy to pick up on those the, the more you do this and the more recruiting you know more recruiting trails you walk um mm -hmm. overbearing parents i think is probably the number one thing that i stop recruiting kids for which is unfortunate because um, there's a lot of kids out there that have a lot of potential and, and may be a good fit for me but um at the end of the day you recruit the entire family so um, if I, if I had to go with the quick nine answer, I think overbearing parents is probably the number one. All right. Perfect. And look at that right on the dot for that one. So, um, <laughs> we're going to put you your even par right now. All right. Next hole. Um, what is, and I know this one will be hard, even though if well, we might give you credit for just how good the story is. Um, what is just kind of the funniest moment that you've had in coaching? All right, so I will definitely take a bogey on this hole for this story. <laughs> we might give you um, so creativity of, points on this one. So. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see. But uh, just kind of going back to those those cornerstone, cornerstone four players, those core four, uh, that's one of my favorite things about this story is that it, it solely involves those four. So we were playing at App State Tournament in Morganton, North Carolina. Uh, we were finishing up dinner at a place called Judges on the River, uh, there are not a lot of places to eat in Morganton, so we sort of just Googled or, or went based on, you know, word of mouth what was, was good around the area. And at that time, a big thing on our team that, that season, which was my first season here, uh, was playing the game odds. So if there's something that is slightly uncomfortable or funny that you want to see someone else do, you say, what are the odds that you will do this thing? And, you know, if they are daring or 
are, you know, enjoy getting the laugh out of the crowd, they'll say, you know, I'll do it, you know, one in five odds that I'll do that. Or if it's digging your hand in, you know, whatever insect you are most afraid of, you might say one in a hundred because you do not want to do that task. And so we played that on the road just about anywhere we went and we were leaving the restaurant and there was just sitting on like this uh, little bar stool outside the, the entrance, there was a can of whipped cream that had the top off and nobody had picked it up. We didn't know if there was anything in it, but if there was anything in it, it was old. Um, it had yeah. clearly been there for longer than that day. Uh, and so my senior at the time was like, odds that you let me find out what's in that can on you. Uh, and I went with the standard one in 10 because that was kind of where I started with all of them. I wanted to give them a chance. You know, I'm, I'm trying to infuse this, this culture of fun and, um, you know, show them how much I, I can enjoy myself too. And so I went with the one in 10. Uh, it didn't happen. And, and I kind of interrupted myself and was like, you know what? Nope, we're going for it. One in five. Uh, so sh she had one of the other players giving her advice on what number to pick. And I had a player in my ear telling me what number to pick. And so then somebody else counted down three, two, one. We both said two. She grabbed the can, started chasing me around uh, the parking lot, finally caught up to me and just absolutely doused me in the nastiest, warmest uh. whipped cream that I have ever uh, experienced in my life and I smacked it away and ended up bleeding on my hand and we were just oh, cracking up laughing and the best part is that it's all on video and I can show you at some point oh goodness goodness that <laughs> is um I don't know if that's funny or gross or scary or a little bit of everything all mixed into that one I think um uh, yeah, for those hurt before it was all over with so yeah it yeah, might have been a little traumatizing for them yeah well, I mean, I had to go and take a shower. At that, at that time, I had long hair, too. So it was it was a pretty messy cleanup. But for yeah. those four, I can assure you, it was funny. I bet so, yes. I'm sure I see the coach doing that. You know, that's, um, I'm sure that was. So that's good. Good, good, good. I like, like I said, this, that's one of my funnest, I, I think I said this um, on an episode not so long ago, my funnest part of this episode, in this, I mean, of these podcasts is the coach's, like, funniest moments. Um, I'm making up some fun, funnest words in there, but, um, well, I like that. That's, that's good. I, I might have to, um, see if I can track that video down. We might have to, um, see where that that's available to, um, it's, uh, yeah, not that I don't believe have, you, but just to see it. <laughs> it doesn't have much dust on it because pretty much everybody that comes in, especially since those two players are seniors, they, see, they remember it very it. fondly and, and remind sure. me of it often. I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. Love that. All right. So. I said, we might give you some creativity points on that one, but uh, we're going to go on to the fourth hole. And then uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but what would you be doing if you weren't a college coach? Yeah, so without doubt, I would have taken the sort of corporate marketing advertising agency route, uh, either graphic design. I have a certificate, did some postgraduate work in graphic design and still do some on the side. So something something creative, something that uses the other side of my brain besides all the numbers that I deal with in coaching. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll say that kind of evens out your time, your, your score for the, those two. Cause that one was that's, a quick one. That's so. gotta be a birdie just based on yes, time. Yeah, bar. We'll, we'll give you a birdie. <laughs> so we'll take that back. Yeah. Back to maybe even par if we give you a bogey on the third <laughs> hole. So, all right. Fifth one is number one piece of advice for an incoming freshman. Uh, be yourself, which is so cliche, but, uh, you know, when people ask me, what do you look for? They're expecting answers like uh, club head speed, scoring average, GPA, but, um, you know, all else 
equal, those things are pretty easy to compare. What I look for are toughness and authenticity and adaptability and uh, people that are multidimensional, not necessarily well-rounded because I think there's always things that we're better at than others. I think well-rounded is sort of an unfair characteristic to look for in someone, but um, be yourself to the point where I can see those things come out in you. There's, there's no way to prove how tough you are besides to be yourself. Uh, talk about things that you've overcome in life where we might have some commonalities. Um, know that I'm paying attention to bounce back score on the golf course when I'm recruiting more so than I am your total score. So if you have a bogey, I'm paying way more attention to that next hole to see how often you birdie or par it than I am uh, focusing on that bogey that happened. Um, authenticity. You know, when we're sitting here in my office, there are no, to me anyways, there are no right or wrong answers but there are true to you or true to the individual answers. And I, I can pick, you know, pick those out pretty easily when I'm being given an answer that they just think is what I want to hear. And obviously that's when I'm talking about being authentic, that's not at all what I want to hear. I just want to hear what's true for you. And, uh, you know, I, I just committed a player a couple of weeks ago that the first thing I said after she took a campus tour and then met me at my office, I was like, so what did you think? And she's like, your restaurants are awesome. I, I couldn't imagine having this many, options and that good of food for the way it looked and I just thought that was the coolest thing that that you know of all the things on campus uh that I see as positives to our university she wanted to talk the about food. the food and I could hey, tell that that, that was just, yeah I could tell yeah. that that was not a canned answer that was who she was and I if I added this player to my roster I was going to get a foodie and that's totally fine with yeah. me all right okay like it um all right so on to the sixth one. Um, what do you wish parents, or let me backtrack. What, what do you wish that the parents better understood about being a college coach? Okay, so going back to you saying that I had these questions beforehand. Yeah. Uh, this was actually one that I struggled with the most because kind of going back to the red flags and some of the things we've already touched on. If, yeah. if I'm adding you as a player to my roster, I'm adding the entire family. So Right now, uh, knock on wood maybe, but right now I have a really outstanding crew of parents that back my decisions, whether it's for or against their player in terms of playing time or travel time, as we would call it. Um, so right now there's nothing be because to sort of pat myself on the back, I recruited some really good parents right now. So to kind of turn the tables on it, I, I think what I wish players understood more is is just how much time and investment on the back end we, for the most part, as coaches spend trying to be uh, fair to the team and trying to make the best possible decisions for them. I know 18 to 22 years old, and I was the same way too, so I don't blame them at all, but it's, it's a time that's filled with you know, life that revolves around you. You're, you're trying to do the best for you. And sometimes it's hard to look at situations from anyone else's point of view. And, and that's, that comes with maturity and, and life experience. But, um, you know, my best friend is very good at being self-aware and um, taking both an empathetic and sympathetic route. So I, I credit her with teaching me how to do this in some ways, but she uh -huh. will look at situations sort of from this Rubik's cube point of view where she spins the cube mentally and, and says, how does this look from this person's point of view? How would this look if I was this person? So um, I, I think if players just stepped outside themselves a little bit more often to see, you know, not only does this affect me negatively, but how does this affect someone else maybe positively? And, and where can I 
you know, learn and grow from coach's decision here. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got players now that are a little bit better about asking the right questions and communicating what they're feeling better. So that, that always helps just to, to have those open lines of communication. But I think sometimes they stew in their own thoughts and feelings about different decisions that we make when it may not even be at all related to why we made whatever decision it was. Gotcha. All right. I like it. All right. This is an easy one. And um, I don't know, it's just something that I don't know why I wanted to ask it, but whether it's personal preference, what you do with the team, whatever, what do you prefer if it's team workouts and or your own, do you do early morning workouts or do you like afternoon workouts? Uh, for me personally, I'm an afternoon workout person. I just operate better from the hours of like 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. But yeah, uh, we are a sport that is dominated by sunlight. So the team does work out early morning and uh, I think they have mixed feelings about it, but they're often more productive on workout days because they started so early. So uh, as a team, we do do morning, but I will always thrive more in the afternoon than I will early morning. <laughs> All right. I think, like I said, I think it's funny how different that makes people, like I said, you know me, I'm a big workout training kind of person. And it's funny how different people mm-hmm. are. You're either a morning or an afternoon one. Um, I'm a morning to midday. I've had to make some adjustments with who I train with now to still never for me that after one o'clock time is, is hard for me to, um, I just I pr- would prefer not to, I can get in the right mindset if I have to, but, um, I know most college teams do morning, but I know there's some coaches that kind of switch it up based off of the, the training schedule and everything. So I said that was just kind of a random one in there. But. That, yeah, I know there are some people that say nothing good happens after midnight. I am sort of of the philosophy that nothing good happens good before seven thirty, eight a.m. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, there. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's it's those people that can burn the midnight oil and and get work done and do things later at night, or you know, just as productive, if not more, than the, the crazy ones of us that sometimes wake up at five o'clock in the morning and. <laughs> ready to go and get the day started. But usually you're going to catch me in bed by about nine 30 or 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> Not very productive after that. So, all right, we've got two more holes left. Um, so let's knock these out. Um, so does distance and club head speed play a factor in girls golf when it comes, especially the college level more than anything or junior? Oh, into absolutely. Level, I, should say. I, I think the, the short answer there is, is absolutely. And uh, when you get to college, you'll probably learn even more about just, how club head speed, you know, dictates distance, even just, you know, we just added a track man to our program this last summer. And uh, it's been cool just for some of my better players to see just how many yards, especially with driver um, two miles per hour adds. I don't, I don't think they really, not necessarily as I didn't understand, but it's, it's easier to see the numbers of like, Oh, two miles per hour is, is really a big deal. So you know, kind of one of the things that I harp on with, with you that in those joking texts that we go back and forth, I always complain about getting slow motion videos because we can always slow them down if we really want to see something slow motion, but give me the full speed. I want to see the club head speed. Uh, So it it drives me nuts to get slow motion video because I can always slow it down. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Last question then is, and it's what I ask on all my episodes. So we're going to make this the night toll as we're coming back into the clubhouse. Perfect timing for it. Um, you know, when you have that player who's in a big moment to win a tournament, to qualify for something, whatever it might be, and they have a short putt left, um, you know, you're there with them as their caddy, as their coach, whatever it might be. What are you going to tell them, um, you know, 
this has always gone so many different directions, which is what I kind of love about it. Something <laughs> so simple, but yet can be so not overthought, but you know, so many scenario based, but what are you going to tell that player, you know, um, or are you going to tell them anything at all just to help get them through that moment of making that last putt for, for whatever, you know, was on the line at that time. Yeah, I, I know you've had a bunch of coaches say, well, it depends on the scenario, depends yeah. on the person, depends on how many we're about to win by, that sort of thing. But uh, to, to keep it simple for, for the sake of this exercise, it's going to be something that is not cliche, but something that they've heard from me probably several times throughout that round. Uh, you know, we harp on our players for the most part as a collective coaching group that no one shot is any more important than others. There are certainly scenarios where it feels more important, but at the end of the day, it's still just one hash mark of a bunch of hash marks that you're putting up over the course of the day. So uh, it's going to be something like finish it off just like you have been uh, back of the cup or, you know, more times than not, I just give it a come on, like, let's go, you know. Um, so it's going to be something that they've heard that, that doesn't put any more emphasis on that free footer than the one they just made. Yes, I love it. Yeah, like you said, I know you've listened to some of these episodes, and it's always interesting to hear, you know, how a coach takes that, which I, when I first did this, you know, I kind of thought it was kind of silly, and I was like, oh, that's just, you know, something simple or whatever, but it's been funny to hear how different directions that has, um, that has gone with that question, so I always enjoy it. So, All right, well, that gets our quick nine. Um, so, you know, we'll give you – I say you were even par on that one. I think there was a couple of birdies there, a couple of bogeys with the time perspective there for going, um, if we're going to score you off of the time, but I'll say you <laughs> knocked it out of the park. We'll give you a total under par around there for just the insight and the information, which is what it's all about. Um, don't want to awesome. you know, shortchange I'll, any I'll of it. I'll take that. Um, for, all right. For all right. Well, you were my, well, you, you set the standard and you set the bar for all these other episodes moving forward to try to, uh, you know, I said, it's not to, to make, less of the inside or the information or anything like that just uh it's, you know a lot of us I think can talk all day about different subjects and different topics and as soon as you do it leads to so many other different directions and there is so much education and information out there which is awesome but sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming so um sometimes just getting a few little quick little insights inside insights and in and um insider you know information is always so important so appreciate you for joining um we'll give you a chance um you know if there's anything else you want to share before we wrap this episode up um you know again you know there's you know, players parents coaches a little bit of everybody out there listening um so if there's anything else you want to share as we wrap this uh this episode up I think I'll just kind of end with a, a quote by Nick Saban. Uh, it, it takes what it takes. Um, you, you know, you're, you're never going to trip and fall into being an excellent player at anything, but especially golf. It's one of the only only sports that you can practice for virtually 24 hours straight and, and get worse and see a worse result the next day uh, and, and just sends you into a little bit of a tailspin. So uh, just, just know for all the junior golfers that are out there grinding away uh, that it, it just absolutely takes what it takes. You, you can't take a day off from getting just a little bit better. And it, it doesn't always mean hitting three buckets of balls. Sometimes that day you're going to get better at visualization or, uh, you know, mental toughness. Um, and there's a hundred different ways to do that, but it, it definitely takes what it takes. And, and even as a coach, to continue to get better and, and make changes to my program and, and move us forward on the national ranking and all that. Uh, it, it takes what it takes and, and I need to do my job every day to get a little bit better too. All right. Awesome. I love it. It takes what it takes. 
great parting words. And thanks again for joining me on this episode. I um, really appreciate, you know, always appreciate our conversations and, and just, uh, you know, back and forth about some of the, the fun things we always come across and entertaining things that we may um, both experience in, in our worlds and everything. So thanks again for joining. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, thanks for listening to the other episodes and just being such a big support of, you know, of this, uh, this podcast and, and, you know, myself and everything always, always appreciate that. And, and, the you know, the respect and, and mutual admiration and everything is, is goes both ways on that one. Absolutely. No, again, I appreciate just being able to, to pull up a, a kitty sized chair at this table and, uh, just look forward to continuing to learn from, from you and the other coaches. Awesome. All right. For everybody out there, thanks for joining on this first true episode of the quick nine hope you enjoyed it hope you learned a little bit on this uh nine holes that we covered uh, with the high point coach alexis bennett um thanks again for joining and i will see everybody on the next episode thank you for joining me on this episode of tap into college golf for more information you can visit www.brandyjacksongolf.com that's Brandy with an I. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJacksonGoff. See you next time.